Well, tonight, if you would, let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 23. I'll be reading verses 1 through 13, 1 Samuel 23. Then they told David, saying, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are plundering the threshing floor. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and deliver Keilah. But David's men said to him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we go to Keilah against the ranks? Of the Philistines. Then David inquired of the Lord once more. And the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go to Keilah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. So David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines, and they led away their livestock and struck them with a great slaughter. Thus David delivered the inhabitants of Keilah. Now it came about when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David at Keilah, that he came down with an ephod in his hand. When it was told Saul that David had come to Keilah, Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand, for he shut himself in by entering a city with double gates and bars. So Saul summoned all the people for war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. Now David knew that Saul was plotting evil against him, so he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has heard for certain that Saul is seeking to come to Keilah to destroy the city on my behalf. Will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down just as your servant has heard, O Lord God of Israel? I pray tell your servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. Then David said, Will the men of Keilah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will surrender you. Then David and his men, about six hundred, arose and departed from Keilah, and they went wherever they could go. When it was told Saul that David had escaped from Keilah, he gave up the pursuit. Word of the Lord. Now, this evening I want to do two things. Um, one of the thing I want to do is I want to give you the exposition of this passage. And I'll probably make a few applications along the way. But the second thing, after we do the exposition of the passage, I want to give you the application of this passage. So first, the exposition. First, I'm going to explain it to you, and then we'll take everything we've learned and apply it all to us as Good Shepherd OPC. Something is happening underneath our noses as we read the text here. We see our desperate Dave who's in a cave. He's fleeing from Saul. He's fleeing from a madman. And we know that he's praying in Psalm 34, Psalm 57, and Psalm 142. He begins with a few men. In this cave. He's fleeing from Saul. David is taking refuge. And then 400 more men. Who are in distress. Who are in debt and discontent over Saul. This tyrannical Saul's regime. 
And so they flee to David. And not only do five start with David and then 400 come to David, now David's father, his mother, and his brothers, they also come to David in the cave. And then we see Gad. Gad from God. Gad the prophet comes to David and he brings with him the word of the Lord. And then finally we have Abiathar the priest. He comes to David. He's fleeing from, remember Saul and Doeg, the sword-wielding Edomite, who killed all the priests and all their families in the last chapter. And then by the time we get to 1 Samuel 23, we have 200 more men, 600 strong, all around David. What's the Lord's future for David? And what's the Lord's future for these men who are gathered around David? Well, in the future... David, remember, he is the anointed king. And in the future, David and these men are going to be, he's going to sit on the throne and all of these men will be his administrators. They will be his generals. They will be his commanders. Gad from God, the prophet, will be with David almost to the end of his life. And so also will will Abiathar. That is all in the future. David is the anointed king. He's not sitting on the throne yet, but that's in the future. So what is the Lord's plan for them in the meantime? David is not on the throne yet. Before David gets to the throne, the Lord is going to make David into the king he wants him to be. And David is going to form David and these men to be the kingdom that he wants them to be. They are in a cave. It's not luxurious right now, but it sure is the thing that romantic psalms are made of. It sure is the thing that many uh, romantic exploits are made up of. The future king is with his future commanders, his future prophet, his future priest. And the Lord is going to take these men and make these men into what he wants them to be. How is the Lord going to form them? What's the Lord going to do? Is the Lord going to allow David and all of these men to sit around and lick their wounds? Is is God going to allow David to nurse grudges and grow bitter towards Saul? Is God going to allow David to desire to kill Saul one day and one day take a spear and stab him with it? Well, we know it's not going to happen. God is not going to allow King David to be pitching a pity party the same way Saul is in the last chapter. Saul is sitting on a hill with all of his men around him and saying, nobody loves me, everybody hates me, I'm just going to go out and eat worms. And God is not going to let David do this. He's not going to let David pitch a pity party for himself. What the Lord is going to do is He's going to use extreme providences. He's going to use prayer. And He's going to use the ministry of the Word to forge David into the king he wants him to be, and these men around David into the men he wants them to be around David. God is going to use these providences. He's going to use prayer. He's going to use the Word of God, and He's going to make these men into one unified, formed group so that they are men who follow their captain. A very strange captain. This is very a strange person. David's a strange person. He's a person who goes to God in prayer. He's a person who's leading these men uh, and loving these men. He listens to God's word and he goes out and he obeys. And all of these men are taking notice of this. So God is going to use these things to make these men into extraordinary men. 
to do extraordinary things in the service of God. I want you to think about an artesian well. <clears throat> I don't know if any of you have ever seen an artesian well. I, I, I will digress for a second, but when uh, I was a cannoneer in high school, and there was an artesian well on a, somebody's farm, and you could literally jump into that well and lay on top of it and float because the water was coming out of the ground so forcefully, it just kept you up. Well, think about an artesian well coming up out of the ground. And if this artesian well that's on your property comes up out of the ground and it's not directed and it's not controlled and you have, a, you have crops, it can erode your, the crops and your harvest will diminish. But if you take and you use and direct that water coming out of the ground to irrigate your crops, you'll have more harvest in the end of the year. What I want you to think about is this. Saul is an evil artesian well. God is not authoring Saul's sin, but the Lord is going to direct his sin and direct his evil so that God will use Saul for David's good. He's going to use the sin of Saul and use it to direct David to press in against him more than he ever has in his whole life. He's going to use Saul and all his evil to drive him to love God and to love these men and to draw closer to these men and to press up against these men. And then he will take David and all those men and press them up against all the people of Judah so that the people of Judah are taken care of. It's very interesting. Many times, there's, here's, a, here's a thought for you to meditate on for the rest of the next week or so. Saul is so obsessed with killing David that he's not taking care of his own people. You with me? He's not taking care of Israel. And so the Philistines are invading Israel. And what God is going to do, He's not going to let David be so consumed with his own personal issues. He's going to help him to learn to do justice and to take care of the people of Israel where Saul is not doing it. David is going to be pressed up against his people. One commentator put it like this. I've never forgotten it. One commentator said this. David is so tender, so partial, so loving toward his own people, but he's a terror to his enemies. You don't want to be David's enemy. Just read down the list a little bit further. You don't want to be his enemy. David will never dream of attacking Saul. But he will protect the shepherds of Israel. He will protect the weak and the disadvantaged in Israel. He will assault the Philistines who are coming in to places and plundering their homes and stealing from their homes. And he will, he will go after those people who are taking their crops after they've harvested everything. He will do that. He will become a shield and a fortress for Judah. He and his men will defend the helpless. And so in their extreme difficulties, they become a blessing to others. Think about that right there. You think, man, my life's really hard right now. And then you find out that God's using you in your difficulties to be a blessing to others. Everybody in Israel is finding out about what's going on with David and his men. All the people know it. In one such incident we just read about here in 1 Samuel 23. David has his intel officers who come and tell him in verse 1 that the uh, Philistines are fighting in Keala 
and plundering their threshing floors. David's intel. David has intel. People are coming, telling him what's happening. And now here's the question. What, da- what is David going to do? Well, I hope you've heard me enough and read this enough to know what David's going to do. What's David going to do? Well, David's going to pray. <laughs> That's what he's done before. David goes to the cave, five guys, and he prays. David prays with 400 guys. And David's going to pray with 600 guys. David's going to go, and David's going to pray. We saw recently, we saw that Gad from God, the prophet, came, and he told David what to do. And David, after he heard, after he prayed, and after he heard the word of God, he went and he obeyed. We have a leader in David like we've never seen before. Tender and loving towards his own people. A terror. A nightmare to his enemies. A man who will, of all things, get down on his knees and pray. Hear the word of God. Go out and obey it. God is shaping his king. He's shaping his kingdom. And David hears about this incident. And so he calls for Abiathar who's recently come from that Terrible episode that happened in in uh, Noth, where the men were killed. All the all of his brothers and friends were killed, and he asked him to inquire of the Lord. This is what he says in verse two: "Shall I go and attack these Philistines?" And the Lord said to David, "Go and attack the Philistines and deliver Keilah." And so, following that, he goes straight to his men. He tells them what the plan is. And in verse three, what do the what do the men say? No, let's don't do that. (laughs) No, let's don't do that. Um, Brother David, providence demands that we not do that. Because you see, if we go do that, we're going to put ourselves in a city where there's walls and there's bars and we'll be like birds in a cage and Saul will hear about it and he'll come and put an end to us. And just by the way, we'll stir up these hornet's nests called the Philistines and they too will be after us. So we have Philistines after us and Saul after us. This is not a good idea. Based on our present providence, let's not do that. (laughs) Now let let me make a little comment here. David's men are trying to read the future by their present providence. They believed that they could correctly understand God's mind of what was going to happen in the future based on what was happening in the present. It's really negative right now. We better not do it because that's this is what's going to happen. There's nothing new under the sun, folks. And even today, we're prone to think that we can read God's uh, intentions into the future based on something in the present. Don't do this. <laughs> We are tempt, We are so tempted to do this. I better not do this right now because of the, the, we know that's for sure. That's going to for sure happen. And we don't have the right to do that. Well, what did David do? This is very interesting. What did David do when the men disagreed with him? Did he stomp his feet? <laughs> did he get angry? No, man. Listen, David, listen to these men. And in verse 4 it says that he once again, once more went back to prayer. And he went back to Abiathar and he asked for him to inquire of the Lord again for him. He does not determine God's mind for the future based on present circumstances. He goes back and this is what he gets. The Lord gives him a command and gives him a promise. He tells him to arise and go to, to, to Keilah 
And then he says this. Here's the promise that he didn't get the first time. For I will give the Philistines into your hand. That's exactly what happened. Now remember this. These men are watching David. This is not happening in a vacuum. This is not happening behind closed doors. These men are watching this. And so they know God has answered his prayer, told them what to do, and they go out. In verse 5 it says, So David and his men went to Keilah and fought as one unit with the Philistines, led away their livestock, struck them with a great slaughter. Thus David delivered the inhabitants of Keilah. So we see the kingdom of God is taking place. It's being formed right in front of our eyes. The king and his men are not to read future things by the present providence or negative or positive, whichever way it is. But they are to enter into prayer together. They are to listen and inquire of the Lord's word together. They're to be pressed up against each other. They are to make decisions together. And then once they find out what God's word is, they are to go out and do whatever thus saith the Lord is. Well, back to the narrative. Now, just as David had his intel officers telling him about what's going on in Keilah, Saul also has his intel officers telling him what's going on in Keilah. And Saul finds out, listen real carefully, Saul finds out that David has entered into this city with walls and bars. And he hears that with devilish delight. And this is what he says, God has delivered David into my hand. He has shut himself into a city with big walls and big bars. David's men interpreted the future by their present providence. Oh no, we better not go to Keilah because then we'll be in a walled in place with bars. Saul does exactly the same thing. Saul does not, ex- he, 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 he interprets the present providence that God has delivered David into his hands and he's smile that God is now smiling on him. Saul is presuming to know the Lord's will just as the, David's men presume to know the Lord's will. God's will, Saul is saying, is for me to go and do what? Kill David. Saul knows better than that. Saul knows that the will of God is for David to sit on the throne after him. And Saul knows he's not stupid, folks. He knows the sixth commandment. Thou shalt not kill. He knows it. David's men, based on present circumstances, believe they should not go to Keilah. Saul, based on present circumstances, believes that God has given David into his hands. And folks, we're just not permitted to determine the future by present circumstances. It's a huge temptation not to obey God's word now because we think this is what's going to happen later. So when David finds out that Saul is assembling to bring all his troops to Keilah, what did he do? What do you say that he did? If I brought the mic out to you, what do you think he did? Well, you know what he did. He went back into prayer. He offered up two prayer requests. He said, will Saul come to Keilah with his troops? And the Lord said, he will. Then he he offered up another prayer. And he said, will the people of Keilah deliver me and my men over to Saul? And the Lord said, they will. And so David stopped praying. 
You know why? He know what he knows what he needs to do next. What does he need to do? He needs to flee. He needs to get out of there. No more prayers needed. All he needs to do is get up and to flee. And so, in every providence, David is determining his next move, not by what he thinks is going to happen in the future, but he determines every move by prayer. He determines every move by the ministry of God's Word. And then he goes out and he obeys. That's the exposition. Now, let's make some applications. What's God doing at Good Shepherd OPC? Now, I'm going to rehearse some of these things. Some of these things all of you know very well, but this is going to be uh, my rehearsal. And probably Pastor Sumter and Mr. Larson can rehearse these things better than me. But this mission work, it was dreamed up in the hearts and the lives of two people, Betty Jean and Steve Larson. I talked to them for an hour the other day. They really are interested in how things are going. And both of them are longtime members of the OPC. Steve was a long-term elder. Betty Jean has played the piano how many? 40 years in the same church, in churches. Ask Ben. And both wanted to see an OPC work in this area. And they let the request be made known to God. They let the request be made known to the Presbyterian of the Southwest. And soon after that, there was this guy named Mark Sumter who comes along as a regional home missionary into this area with his wife. And then later, other people joined. There were Bible studies and there were uh, outreach, different outreach opportunities that, that happened. And then there was hurricanes that happened and disaster relief came this way. And many of, many of you can tell me that I think there was something in the 30s every evening because all these men were working all day long to help all these folks. And they would come here for worship. And there were men who would come and they would give of their time. They would give of their pre time to preach. They would come for the other churches to preach. And they, they kept this thing going. Now, as I've been educated by the regional home missionary... This church is not a daughter church. Now, a daughter church in many of our of the way our OPC works, a daughter church is like this church becomes particularized, and after se several years, they become solid, and they're able to take care of themselves. And then they have a group of people in a certain part of the town where they're driving for many, many miles, many times. And those 8 to 10 families, they can break off and start a daughter church. And they start with maybe... Eight families, eight times two, three, four people. You start with 30, 40 people maybe. It's a great way to start a church. But this church is a scratch start. This church didn't start with eight families. This church started in a home. This church started with people sitting in a home praying and having Bible studies. Prayer. Think about what we've said. What is the kingdom of God? How does it work? There's Jesus Christ. He's the king of all of it. And then there's people who gather around him in prayer and in the word. And this, then there's that obedience we talked about. This is how this church started. How this mission work started. And it continues with men and women who come and... Well, we've decreased a little bit of the work, haven't we, at night? But we do put stuff up and we do take things down. There's a lot of sweat equity in this place. It sounds very much like Dave and his men. And we have the hopes of becoming a particular church. But it all begins and it all ends with prayer and the ministry of the Word and obedience to that Word. And you see those men being pressed up against their King. Not me, Jesus. 
You and I, we get pressed up against Jesus and we get pressed up against each other and we pray and we get into the Word of God and God has slowly been adding people to this church. Who are we? Who are we as Good Shepherd OPC? Well, God's gathered us from different backgrounds. We have people from different nationalities. We have people from different denominational affiliations. We have people who are from non-denominational situations, Presbyterians, Baptists. We have Anglicans with us. They're, They're changing a little bit. We have people from all different walks of life. We have different economic backgrounds. We have different parenting strategies. We have different um, vocations. We're at different levels of sanctification. Some of us have been walking with the Lord Jesus Christ for a very long time. And some of us have just started. But we're all under construction. What's the Lord going to make of us? Well, what's the Lord going to make of David and his men? He's going to make David the king. He's going to make those men his heroes. What's He going to make of us? Well, in the future, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to make us His glorious church. We're in the process. In the future, we know Jesus loved the church, gave Himself up for her, so that He might present to Himself a radiant church. This is Ephesians 5. A church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, holy and blameless before Him. In glory, you and I are going to sit with Jesus Christ, the greater greater than David. He's going to rule and reign and we will rule and reign with Him. There will be no more sin to plague our hearts out and there will be no more strife to have to deal with in the midst of the church. And that's part of what we're talking about tonight. How are we going to be one? The head of the church, Jesus Christ, He is the one who's going to make it this way in heaven. One commentator put in his, in his commentary, he said, In heaven, when we're underneath Jesus Christ, ruling and reigning with Him, he says, even Luther and Zwingli will be sitting at the same supper table together. But what's the Lord going to make of us right now? What's going on in the meantime? Well, in the meantime, the Lord is our Savior. He is our Good Shepherd. And He takes people from different pens and makes them into one flock. From all these different backgrounds, from all our diversity, He's making us one. Ephesians 2.14 says that God's purpose is to create through Jesus Christ one new man. And just as David and his men are being forced into one kingdom, one body, we are in Christ being made the household of the faithful. Do you get it? Jesus Wants us to come under Him. Yes, we have leadership. We have officers. We have pastors and elders and all of that. But even the minister and even the ruling elders and the deacons have to come underneath their captain. And we function under Him. And this passage lays it out for us, doesn't it? How are we going to be one unless we bow our knee underneath Jesus Christ and pray? How are we going to be one unless we come to this place and worship Jesus Christ together and rub shoulders together? How are we going to be one? How are we going to be one if we don't sit down when we have a disagreement, if we go twisting off and walking away from each other? That won't happen. But if we disagree, we can sit down and talk things over. And we can get back down on our knees and inquire of the Lord together. We can follow David's example, can't we? Find out which way to go and go there together. David was patient. Can't we be patient? Sometimes it's our impatience that gets us in trouble. 
Again and again we pray together. Again and again we go to the Lord and we pursue His Word and then we pursue with all our might the peace that He wants us to have with each other. This unity and peace, it will not happen apart from these things. Well, I was with it. When we took Evan to Grove City, we, we were in a, in a minister's home. And, um, and the, the minister's wife said to Evan, she said, now if you want to be tied into the church, you can't walk in on Sunday morning and walk out on Sunday afternoon when the service is over and expect to be tied in. I said, Evan, haven't you been hearing that <laughs> for the past two years? <laughs> you know, did you get it? Did you get it? You and I, we can't just walk in here and worship and walk out. We got to bang into each other a little bit. We got to talk to each other. We got to worship. And, and I love what Ben's been saying to us when we do our hymn sings. We need to learn to breathe at the same time together when we sing. We need to learn how to say the confession together and say those words together at the same time. We need to do these things together in unison. And it's only going to work if we persevere in this. We don't have any culture around us that's helping us to do this. The culture around us is saying this, me first, you second. My way and your way take the highway, right? But the culture is not helping us at all. You and I, there's a, there's a, there's a story that, that uh, many of these older men will know. I'll tell you all younger guys. There's a running back that used to run for the Chicago Bears. His name was Gail Sayers. If you go watch some of his highlights, you'll see how really incredibly good he was. But he played with another guy named Brian Piccolo. And they loved each other. And Gail Sayers was black and Brian Piccolo was white. And and Brian Piccolo got cancer and he died. And then Gail Sayers wrote a book. And the title of the book is, I Am Third. God first, family second, and me third. And that is what we find in the Bible in so many ways. God first. Kingdom of God first. Seek Jesus Christ first and the righteousness of Christ first. Then treat others the way you would like to be treated. You third, man. God first. Others second. You third. In Christ, we must do it this way. We're not allowed, going back to some of the things we said, in Christ, we're not allowed to look at our present circumstances and say, oh no, oh no, look, there's not enough people today. There's not enough people. Have y'all been amazed at what's happened in the past couple of months? (laughs) Do you realize that last July, we had 47 people in the morning average? In July. Just trust the Lord. We need to go to the Lord in prayer. We need to persevere. We need to be in the Word. We need to keep preaching the Word. And we don't need to prognosticate what the future is based on the present. We need to trust. And we need to do what is right today. And rub against each other. And if we have any problems, talk it over. Hey, let's talk it over. Let's go back to the Lord. Let's go back to prayer. Let's go back to making decisions together. Congregation. This is the work of our church. It's the work of prayer, word, sacraments, fellowship, being pressed up against Jesus Christ, being pressed up against each other. And when the world sees this diversity that's taking place in this church, and then we put each other first, you put each other first, you know what the world's going to see? The world's going to see that we are Christians by our love. That's what it's going to see. It needs to see that. The world's aching to see this. Well, 
It needs to see it, and then it'll learn that it needs it. Well, this evening, it's my privilege to invite you to the Lord's table. And let's think about Jesus for a second. We just got through saying prayer, word. We just got through saying fellowship with each other, uh, making decisions together. Think about Jesus. He's the man of prayer. Think about Jesus Christ. He's the man who lived off of every word. He inquired and he lived off of every word of God. He is the man who would obey, obey God's word perfectly. He pressed up against people. Just like he wants us to press up against each other. And Jesus is the one who institutes this supper for us. And so we need to love him and love one another. And we need to bear witness of the kingdom of God as we eat and drink. Tonight, Jesus Christ offers up his body and his blood for you to be nourished and for your growth and grace. He knows your needs tonight. He's prepared to meet them by communing with you in this bread and in this wine. He will energize you in your hearts as you eat and as you drink with faith in your hearts. This supper is for all of those who are in the kingdom of God. It's for all of those who love Jesus Christ. It's for all of us who are praying, who are inquiring of the word. Remember the outline, inquiring of the word, who are talking to each other and striving to be one. It's for all of us who've been baptized and made a profession of faith. So if that describes you tonight, then I want you to come to the table of the Lord. And I want you to participate. And I want you to examine your hearts. Paul tells us to examine our hearts. And I think the easiest way to think about this, what is a worthy reception of the Lord's Supper? Well, it's this. Are you completely depending on Jesus' righteousness? Are you completely depending on Him? Or are you depending on something else? If you are depending on Jesus, He says, come to the table. Come to the table of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for this opportunity to receive the bread and the wine at Your hand. And Father, we pray we inquire of the Word. We press in against Jesus. We press up against each other. And we love You and we love each other. Help us to do this for Your glory and Your honor and for our good. Feed us, we pray tonight. And may it be for the good of our souls. May we glorify you in all that we do right now. We'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.